This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined by George Smith. Hello, George. Hello, Elliot. You sound incredibly enthusiastic this evening, I must say. He's really upbeat for this, I can tell. I'm full of life, I'm full of enthusiasm for the championship, and I'm trying to manifest positivity as if I don't have a 17-hour round trip to Swansea on Saturday. Yeah, rather you than me. Suddenly my 10-6 shift working from home doesn't sound it's all that bad. It's deceptively far, Swansea, because like you go to Cardiff and it's not nearby my house, it's fair to say. It's a long <laughs> way away. But you think, well, how much further can... Swansea's another hour on top on the train. It's like deceptively further. It's like 20 minutes from... No, it's about half an hour from Bristol over to Cardiff on the train. So that's sound. But then you've got another hour to go to get to Swansea. And it's not in the... the unlike Cardiff, where you can get a train to Ninian Park, which is about two minutes from the ground. You can't... It's about, it's about a half an hour walk to Swansea. Uh, from this train station. So when you're trying to get back quickly to get your train so you can do it in one day, it becomes a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. So it's going to be a rat race getting back. It will, but if it's a similar result to Blackburn's last visit, it will surely be worth it. Yes, they won 3 now. That feels a long time Indeed. ago. It was the start of it last does. season. It does. It was the start of the season, wasn't it? Anyway, it was we're digressing. First away game. We are digressing. Been an interesting week, shall we say. No managerial sackings, though, for once. No, we're going to talk about some actual football, which is nice. We're going to talk about a bonkers, I was going to say race, but battle to avoid the drop. It's not a race for relegation, although with the way some teams are performing, you would think it is. And at the top of the table, a really big weekend, particularly on Friday night. And I think that's a good place to start. Let's talk about Leeds United. Let's talk about Leicester City. Um, Leeds now in pole position for second place. And maybe if you whisper it really quietly, do we have a title race? Six points between Leicester City and Leeds United. Leeds have taken 31 points from the last 36 available, um, which is the most in the league over the last 13 championship match days. They've conceded only six in that time. And they've currently got a back four of a centre mid who's 17 playing at right back, as they have for most of the season. Joe Rodon, Ethan Ampadu has been amazing in central midfield at centre back. No problem. And uh, Junior Firpo at left-back. Gruev has come in and done really well in midfield alongside Kamara. And they weren't at their best. They certainly weren't the best team for 90 minutes against Leicester. But that final 10 minutes and the way Ellen Road really galvanised and pushed um, Leeds United forward after they got the equaliser through Connor Roberts, it's given us a title race, George. I genuinely believe we have got a title race. When you look at... Leeds are going away to Huddersfield this weekend. That won't be easy in any circumstance because Huddersfield are scrapping for their lives. But the fact it's a West Yorkshire derby complicates things further. And Leicester have got a, a kind of a tricky looking game against QPR at home. And given Leicester have lost their last two, QPR in good form, that doesn't feel like the home banker it would have been six weeks ago. So I, I think we have got a little bit of a title race on. And if we're saying Leeds are in the title race, as we'll come on to, Ipswich have got to be in there too because there's only goal difference separating those two teams. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you've brought them into the equation because I was going to say you've, you've certainly got to mention Ipswich in this. You cannot discount them in this run. But let's look back at last Friday night first of all. And yeah, 
It was it was a weird sort of game, really, wasn't it? Leicester absolutely. I, I dominant thought for seventy minutes, Leicester minutes. put in one of the best yeah. away performances in the championship season and it, lost. It was it was bizarre how it ended. Let's be honest. Patson Dacker's miss when he went through, I think, been slipped in by Ricardo Pereira. He should have buried that chance, and if that goes in, it's game set and match. He obviously had a, a legitimate goal chalked off. Though you can understand why the linesman did disallow it, it was quite hard to see, I would imagine, at the time. If it was position. a Premier League game, though, George, Leicester yes. probably come away with a 2-0 but victory. Unfortunately, it's not a Premier League game. So, yes, fortunately, indeed. At the moment, we uh, we have obviously got no VAR in the Championship, which, in a way, I'm I'm kind of glad about, in a way, because it, it just adds a little bit of excitement, doesn't it? Though, of course, it does bring in one or two controversial calls now and again, as it did last Friday night, but... I watched the game as I do every Friday night on the on the on the tweets for the pod page and really really enjoyed it. It was a really good game. Even caught Jurgen Klopp's attention as he mentioned this week in the media. But Leeds, I thought for the first sort of seventy five eighty minutes until Conor Roberts brought them level, I didn't think Leeds looked that good on the night. And that wasn't sort of a sense of them playing badly. Leicester just did a really really good job on them. I thought Mavadidi on the left hand side caused so much havoc for them, endless problems. And it all extended down that side, him up against Archie Gray, to be fair. And Archie Gray, though, he tried to push him back as much as he could. And in the second half in particular, Mavadidi got so much joy. But, of course, Leeds came rallying back. And when you're on a run of eight wins in a row, you've always got that little bit of a chance. And, obviously, Leeds came back, got the equaliser, and then immediately after, get the second goal to put them 2-1 ahead. And then, obviously, the third goal right at the death to wrap it up. And you, you could look back on this, that 10-minute period come the end of the season. Like you say, we've now, it seems like we've got a title race. Goodness me, how big a 10 minutes could that be come the end of the campaign? Because Leicester, like you said, were seemingly cruising towards three points. It would have been a statement away victory. But now you look at Leeds United, who, of course, pushed Chelsea all the way in the FA Cup on Wednesday night. I think it's worth mentioning that. I know, obviously, we're, we're not an FA Cup podcast, but you've got to take into account the matches that these teams have played. And, of course... Leeds, they, they gave Chelsea one hell of a go. They pushed them all the way and were quite unfortunate not to take it to extra time at the very least. But Leeds now, nine wins in a row, one league win away from equaling Aston Villa's record in the championship period of 10 wins on the bounce. Like you said, Huddersfield this weekend, not easy, it's a derby. And then you look beyond that for Leeds next week, Stoke at home on Tuesday night, Sheffield Wednesday away next Friday night. So they've got two Yorkshire derbies within the next three. Never any guarantees in those, though of course they'll be favourites in both of them. But for Leeds, they're on a roll at the minute. And they've been excellent, let's be honest. You've mentioned there that back line. The, the defensive record in this run has been absolutely spectacular. And then at the same time, you look at the likes of Jorginho Ruter, Crescencio Somerville, Dan James. They've all been electric for the best part of four or five months now, to be fair to them. And it was weird because Somerville and Ruter in particular, they were so quiet last Friday night and for the best part of the first 70 minutes. And then Rute sort of came alive and he was a say, key instigator well, in that one win. One thing I would say is Rute probably created all three goals, not necessarily yeah. with an assist or with a goal himself. But just but his all-round His play. direct running and what he offers Leeds United in that number 10 position or, or even when he plays as a nine, he, he's just a bit chaotic, isn't he? And, and it's really hard to, to deal with that at times. The way he can carry the ball and um, his expected carries are through the roof in terms of the championship numbers. We know his assists are uh, obviously supreme as well. He just brings that chaos factor to their attack, doesn't he? Unless, it, like, obviously, the, the equaliser is poor defending. Um, Vestergaard just sticks out a leg and it dive, dive, deflects to 
Roberts to smash in, but he causes the panic in the Leicester defence on every single goal. Yeah, he does, and that's what he does. He is basically a, a giant nuisance, isn't he? he? He makes problems, he causes problems, but the way he, he brings the likes of Somerville, Willie Nonto, Dan James into play, Joel Perot as well, it's a really useful weapon to have at your disposal. And I think Daniel Farker, he, he's done one hell of a job there. And a lot of people will be quick to point out that he's got uh, an amazing crop of talent, certainly in forward areas, that was assembled quite expensively when they were in the Premier League, which is very true. But when you think back to the beginning of the season, Leeds didn't start particularly well. They were playing catch-up in the window with the amount of players that they needed to move out before they could bring in. So, you know, they were at a disadvantage in that sense. Of course, you've got. it's always going to help when you've got talented players. But Daniel Farker, he's done better than expected. I thought it was a good appointment at the time because of what he'd done at this level with Norwich in the past. But Leeds has always felt like a different kettle of fish at this level. But he's done really, really well. And if he can achieve the, the... prospect of double figures for a winning run in the Championship. That is a remarkable achievement, as I mentioned. Only Aston Villa have done it before in the Championship era since 2004-2005. So if they can make it 10 wins in a row this coming weekend against um, Huddersfield Town, you'd certainly, even though of course, as we saw last weekend with Millwall winning at Southampton, there are no guarantees in this league, but you'd expect them to then make it 11 wins being at home to Stoke City on Tuesday night with the form that they're in. So done a marvellous job, Daniel Farker. And like you said, it does feel like we've got a title race now between these two. But as you quite rightly said, and I personally think it as well, you cannot rule Ipswich out of this yet. They are on equal points with Leeds United. There's no getting away from that fact. I just wonder, looking ahead a little bit to the weekend, whether Leeds' quick turnaround, whether the sort of the emotion of the last two matches, including the Chelsea game, and whether, you know, I think they've got a few injuries in the camp as well. Somerville and um, Ruta didn't play against um, Chelsea. Whether that means they're out of the Huddersfield game, I'm not quite sure. I've not had a chance to catch up with Daniel Farker's press conference if it's been today or whether it's tomorrow as we record on Thursday night, having been at the Blackburn Presser today myself. Um, I just wonder whether there could be a little shock on the cards. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if Huddersfield just did them at the weekend, you know because of that sort of emotional come down, the physical element as well. Um, Say Leicester have got QPR, which will be a tough game. Ipswich, I want to talk about them as well. They're really keeping the pressure on. They had their little blip, didn't they? They lost at Preston. They drew against West Brom. They dropped a few other points as well. Now it's four wins in a row. um, And I want to talk about Amari Hutchinson, because he's someone that I was instantly wowed by when I saw, back in September, when I went to Portman Road and Blackburn lost 4-3 against Ipswich. Really, really impressed by Hutchinson. I thought, wow, he's a talent, can can go both ways, left-footed off the right, but very capable of going down the line as well. Quick, skillful, um, very tricky, direct, 1v1 attacker. And it's not quite worked out for him in terms of really nailing down a spot. Wes Burns has been really good form. Um, Chaplin has as well, and so has Broadhead. But I thought he'd have played a little bit more than he has. And then Sarmiento comes in in January and it probably just knocks him down the pecking order again a little bit, albeit he generally plays from the right. Sarmiento plays from the left. But in terms of who might come into the team, he's now been involved directly in a goal in each of Ipswich's last five, scored some really important goals in that time. And having him contributing regularly, I think, can be a real boost for Ipswich between now and the end of the season. They need as many players on form as possible and contributing. Connor Chaplin went through a little bit of a lean spell, I think eight without scoring. He's now back on the score sheet and looking back to his best as well. Broadhead had a little spell out of the team. He's now back in as well. So I think Ipswich looking something like back to their best after a little wobble and their staying power 
has been absolutely phenomenal as we, we you know we you wax lyrical in particular last week about them the staying power they've had the fact that feels like everyone's talking about Leeds for the title potentially is it is it on at six points well Ipswich Town have got the same amount of points as they do exactly that's the thing and Ipswich are such a resilient team they never know when they're beaten obviously we've, we've done an episode since the the, dra- the drama that came at the end of the Rotherham game a week last Tuesday night when they won 4-3 obviously Rotherham equalising late on with that penalty from Cafu and then Amari Hutchinson scoring right at the death. Then obviously they beat Birmingham at the weekend. Didn't have to come from behind in that one, but they were brought back to 1-1 after taking the lead. So they're certainly a bunch and a team that never know when they're beaten. They're, they are so resilient. I actually worked out a stat yesterday, actually, as we record this. They're the only team in the division this season that have not lost back-to-back league games at any point this season. They're the only side that have not done that. So that includes Leicester and Leeds. So that's pretty impressive. But I think the thing for Ipswich now is, and for Leeds as well, they've both got quite a favourable looking run between now and the international break in about three weeks' time. Leeds, they've got Huddersfield, Stoke City, Sheffield Wednesday and Millwall in their next four. That's quite a good opportunity. If they're up and at it, they could get 12 points from those four. If they are genuinely at their best, they are capable of doing that. I think the same can be said for Ipswich. They're next four. They've got Plymouth away this weekend, Bristol City at home next Tuesday, Cardiff away the following Saturday, and then their final game before the pause is Sheffield Wednesday at home. So they've got two at home, two away against teams that are certainly, with it, probably with the exception really of of probably Bristol City really, where they they should be looking at them and thinking that's a guaranteed three points. They should be having that mindset. Bristol City, a bit of a funny side in the sense that they lose to the teams at the bottom, but then beat those at the top, which is a bit weird. Bristol City's last Br- few games sum up the championship so much. Beat yeah, Southampton, do. lose to QPR, lose to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely bizarre. But Ipswich, like I said, they are a really, really, really good side. It's as simple as that. And like I said, they never know when they're beaten. So I think if you are sort of as genuinely... Everybody has in this past past week or so said Leeds are the title challengers now with Leicester. Ipswich are as well. There's no doubt about it. People keep saying, have kept saying, should I say, I think it's too late to keep saying now we're too late in the season where they've said, haven't they? They'll fall away eventually. They'll not be able to keep it up. They are keeping it up. That is the thing. They are keeping it up. They're ma- maintaining this excellent record and their home form is just absolutely off the scale. It is unbelievable, their record at Portman Road. They've only lost one game there all season in the league. That was obviously to Leeds back in, I think, early September or very, very end of August. But if you look back at Ipswich's home form since the beginning of last season, obviously they were a League One club then. In league football, they've played 40, won 28, drawn 10, lost two, scored 104 goals, conceded 40, 94 points from 120 available. That is absolutely phenomenal. It's incredible. 94 points from 120 available. So I think Ipswich are certainly in the running. There's no doubt about that. They've got confidence flowing through their veins at the minute. So likewise with Leeds, a week coming up with obviously three game, three game week on the horizon from this weekend. Got a full midweek slate next week. So big week for both of them. They've both got games that they'll probably look at and think we should be winning these ones. And on current form, you'd <coughs> excuse me, you'd fancy both Leeds and Ipswich to get a good haul of points. So this race could go right down to the wire. So Leicester will be looking anxiously over their shoulders, perhaps a little bit, 
I don't think it's sort of the stage where they're going to hit the panic button and think, oh my God, we're going to bottle this and blow automatic promotion altogether. But they've certainly got to be mindful. The last couple of weeks for Leicester have been been quite damaging. Though, of course, the pace that's been set behind them is out of their control. The interesting thing with Leicester is when they've lost previously this season, they've lost four championship games this season. They lost two back-to-back earlier in the season. They've lost two back-to-back again. If they don't beat QPR on Saturday, which is no longer the easy game that it was six weeks ago, I, I think QPR no, will be uh, Leicester will be quite fearful of QPR coming. That might sound daft. Not fearful, maybe that's too strong a word, but they are awkward opposition. It's not who you would want next up. You would want a mid-table plodder that's not really... Cardiff, someone like that would be perfect for them. Um, and if QPR go and get something... Suddenly, we're obviously keep talking about the title. Less, they're only six points behind. If they can make more ground, Leicester's place in the automatic promotion places is not guaranteed. How can it be if you've got two teams on 72 and we're saying there's a title race? Southampton, five points back. They've had a terrible, terrible couple of weeks um, after going on, what was it, 25 games unbeaten, lost at Bristol City. It's now three defeats in their last four. They're five points back from Leeds and Ipswich, giving away soft goals again. Lost at home to Millwall, who got the uh, the archetypal new manager bounce with Neil Harris coming in, which we spoke about on last week's podcast, but he went and galvanised them, got a result. Terrible first goal to give away. Gavin Bazunu, I am completely unsold on him. And I, am, I understand that goalkeepers do more than just save the ball nowadays. I totally understand and appreciate you need someone good at build-up. Look at Hermerson. Even Murich at times last season for Burnley looked a little bit shaky, but he offered them so much in possession. It was what Vincent Company wanted. But Murich did save them points at times. Bazunu, I cannot think, and I don't watch every single Southampton game for 90 minutes, I haven't got a highlight reel where I can point to say that's a really good save, that he's saved them some points. I can list you about four mistakes that have cost Southampton points just off the top of my head. Watford immediately comes to mind. The first goal here was terrible, where he comes out for a cross, gets nowhere near it. Um, the Plymouth goal, which in fairness didn't cost them a point because they were 2-0 up and 1-2-1, but there was that where he got tackled in the 90th minute by Ryan Hardy, was it, I think, for 2-1. There's more, but I, I, I'm not sure he's a net positive for them. And it was someone that was really highly rated coming out of his loan spell at Portsmouth, did really well. Man City sold him on, as they have they do with goalkeepers. We've seen the exact same thing with James Trafford last season. Uh, sorry, this season at Burnley again. And he looked out of his depth last season. Fair enough, it was probably a step too soon. But I really expected him to come into the Championship and be one of the best goalkeepers in the league and re-establish himself. Just, I genuinely believe James Trafford, for example, will have a really good season at Burnley next season when they get relegated, which I feel is a bit inevitable at this point. Bazuna's been poor, in my opinion. Yeah, he's certainly not been as good as you would have expected for the transfer fee that he commanded. And I remember watching him when he was on loan at Portsmouth about two years ago nearly now, I think it was. And back then, he was probably one of the best goalkeepers outside the Premier League and he was in League One at that point. And obviously, he got the move to Southampton. It was similar to James Trafford, really, League One. Then jumped straight into the Premier League, over sort of over jumping the Championship by one, and now he's really struggled to adapt in the Championship. Really, it's, it's sort of weird having had a year in the Premier League as a regular. But like you say, he's he's been at fault for certainly a handful of goals this season, and he certainly doesn't look comfortable at times. So he's certainly a player that 
fits the Russell Martin vision in terms of dominating the ball. But similarly to, really, really to Andre Onana at Manchester United, being brought in for their, their ability with the ball at their feet, whereas maybe their shot stopping and everything else isn't so brilliant. But I think it's, you know, it's certainly not a case of pinning all the blame on him, Southampton, in the last few weeks. They've, they've, hit, they've hit the buffers. There's no doubt about it. They have hit the buffers. They've had a really poor run in the last two weeks, three defeats in four games. But when you sort of reverse it and you say you're going to lose four of your next 23 league games, whatever it was, you'd probably snatch your hand off for that. So the big thing for Saints now is how do they respond? They've now got three league games left before the international break. They were supposed to be playing Leicester on the final round of games before the break. Obviously, Leicester will be in FA Cup action this weekend, so that's been called off. So, Southampton the next three. Birmingham away, Preston at home, Sunderland at home. That's got to be nine points. If they want automatic... I think they've got to win all three of them. That has got to be nine points. After that, after the break, they've then got Middlesbrough on the 29th, which is Good Friday. Then they've got Ipswich away on Easter Monday. That could be a monster clash if Southampton sort of re-lips in a little bit before then. So, Russell Martin, for me, he's got to find a way of getting this team going again because they have, they've stagnated a little bit. I watched the game with West Brom, which is, well, when this episode comes out, it'll be exactly a fortnight ago since that game. It was the 16th of February. And that was a few days after they have been beaten by Bristol City. They responded with a 2-0 away win against one of the best sides in the division in terms of a home record. Felt yeah, like they'd they sort of had a blip at Bristol City and they were just immediately back on track. But then back-to-back defeats, the whole Millwall, the whole defeat, by all accounts, Hull were absolutely excellent that night. They played really, really well. Hull have got a lot of talent and we've seen them kick on in the last few weeks. But to lose at home to Millwall, yes, there's a new manager bounce to encounter for, but you shouldn't be losing that one. If you want automatic promotion, you've got to be beating a team like Millwall. So... It's been a really costly blow for Southampton the last couple of weeks after sort of being the, the dead certs to get in the top two with Leicester. All of a sudden now, this run that Leeds have been on obviously has, has been unprecedented. It's been remarkable what they've done in the last few weeks. So that has obviously impacted Southampton, but they've got nobody to blame but themselves for their recent downfall. So they've got a really big week coming up with, like I say, they're going to have the best part of three weeks off for the next batch of games from Easter to the final you know, the, the finish line at the end of the season because of that Leicester game being postponed. So, a massive week for the Saints. And like I said, with Birmingham away and then back-to-back home games, Preston, Sunderland, that has got to be a really good haul of points if they're going to get in the top two. Yeah, it does feel like they're up against it now. It feels... The now doesn't feel like some of the January signings that were quite eye-catching at the time. Joe Rothwell, David Brooks, they've not really hit the ground running either. I don't, I don't feel like... I, I know it's hard to come in and change a winning team, but I thought they would get frustrating. You know, if I was to put together what I think Southampton's best starting eleven is, Brooks and Rothwell will both be in there for me. Um, I think just about yeah. So and it doesn't seem to have worked out like that. You know, Shea Adams came in at the weekend. Adam Armstrong dropped to the bench. Feels like he's searching for the right formula to try and get them back on track, but it's not happened so far, and they just haven't. You know, I looked at the point; they're on sixty-seven points from thirty-four games. That would have you very close to automatic promotion, if not in the top two most seasons. The threshold is very high. The room for error is very small. 
So I don't want to go too harsh on Russell Mayne, but it does feel like he, he's slightly getting not quite enough out of the squad at the moment. And this is only a run of four games compared to the 25 unbeaten that they went before. So can't jump to conclusions too much. At the bottom of the table, it was an absolutely bonkers weekend, George. The team's currently in 15th, 17th, 19th, 20th, 21st and 23rd all won. We'll stay with this game because one of them was Millwall. And they, of course, came away with a 2-1 win from St. Mary's in Neil Harris's first game in charge. It really does feel like this appointment has given new life to this Millwall squad, which, let's be fair, it shouldn't be down there. It shouldn't be as far down as it as it was. I was quite disappointed last week that they sacked Joe Edwards from a optics point of view, from a... You just hope they could hang in enough. And I think this maybe is a lesson. We spoke a little bit last week about how many of the managerial changes mid-season had actually been a success. And we said Danny Rill and Marty Sifuentes was probably the only ones. But it probably might be a lesson that if you're going to bring in a manager, maybe who's a bit of a rookie, you know, more of a um, someone who likes to work on the grass with a team, don't bring them in mid-season to a team that's got a completely different style and give them no time on the training pitch to work because of the schedule. Because I do think Joe Edwards could have made Millwall a better and different team and, and and evolved them next season, but didn't have a chance. But for here and now, the objective for Millwall is to stay in the Championship and Neil Harris is a better appointment and a better fit to keep them in the Championship than Joe Edwards. And we've seen that already at the weekend. Back to basics a little bit. Um, stuck with the back four. Went a little bit more defensively sound. Ryan Leonard at right back. Brooke Norton Cuffey in front of him rather than uh, when he came on as a sub, rather than playing him uh, as the right back or the right wing back. Um, went 4-4-2, a little bit more direct. And they were good value for the win, to be fair. They, they they saw the game out pretty well. Up next, they've got Watford. Now, that feels like an absolute home banker. Millwall, off the back of beating Southampton. I think it's sold out at the den. Neil Harris's return, as it'll be billed. Watford, a bang out of form. Valerie Ismail's under pressure. Reports this week that they're considering a change after one win in nine. That does feel like a bit of a home banker this weekend. And I do think that Millwall, if they can win at the weekend, will start to pull clear again because that squad is too good to be in the bottom three and certainly in the bottom six. Is there such thing as a banker in the championship? I don't oh, think we, we try can and, say we that. We try and get one every weekend. week, George, don't we? So it's well, not we do. the best part of five years. We, we, <laughs> we do, but... It, yeah, I can see where you're coming from in the sense that you would certainly think it. Watford are on the ropes at the minute. Millwall, I mean, going to Southampton and winning, that must have done absolute wonders for the confidence within the changing room. It really must. But I think Neil Harris going back in there, yeah, it, it's not a, a sexy appointment, is it? It's not one where you stand back and think, wow, that's a real, real coup to get him. But for the position and the situation Millwall are in at the minute, it does make perfect sense. There's no doubt about it. He's going to bring back the principles of giving everything for the badge, the commitment, the desire, the energy and everything that goes with it because he is Millwall through and through. He is Mr Millwall, isn't he? And we've all seen the video, I'm sure, of the way he went rallying over to the away end at St Mary's last weekend before the first ball had even been kicked, got the crowd up. And at the end of the day, he was immensely popular there as a player, their all-time leading goal scorer. Did very, very well, I thought, in his first stint overall. He, He did do a good job. And he's come back, obviously, having been at Gillingham and Cambridge already this season. And at the end of the day, when you get the opportunity to go back to a team that you obviously hold so close to your heart, you're going to jump at the opportunity. And I think for the position that Millwall are in, 
it does make sense because he is going to get them players fired up. He's in a similar sort of way in sort of comparison in the past to, say, Chris Wilder at Sheffield United is his club. He's going to get the players fighting for everything. So I think it does make sense. It's not, like I say, it's not the most appealing appointment and one that makes you stand back and think, goodness me, that that is quite something. But it makes sense. And at this point, like we said last week, Millwall, after that defeat to Sheffield Wednesday, they thought, shit, we, we're, in, we're in the deep water here. We're in trouble. Relegation is a, is a real prospect of happening. So they've made the change. They've brought, obviously, Neil Harris back. And like I say, I just think it's a sensible all-round fit with sort of a, a square peg in a square hole, if you like. So I think Millwall, I think Millwall will be OK. I do think they'll pull out of it. I, I think it could take a little bit of time in terms of a few weeks to sort of distance themselves. It's not going to happen in a weekend, but like you said, Watford at home this weekend, that certainly feels like a, a game that they should be winning. Watford obviously have been in a difficult patch in the last few weeks. And then if you if you think forward for Millwall, I think it's then Blackburn away next Tuesday night. So two big games coming up for Millwall. Obviously Blackburn are stuck in a bit of a rut at the minute, certainly in their league form. The FA Cup performance against Newcastle, very impressive on Tuesday night. But Millwall, they're looking at these two games coming up in the next few days and thinking, if we can get, say, four points out of these two, possibly even six, that'd be a really, really good haul for us. So, big game at the weekend. And I'm sure Neil Harris in his first home game back in charge will be more than up for it. And I'm sure the fans will as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. For the first time since September, we have a different bottom three. QPR are now out of the relegation zone after beating Rotherham United 3-1. Uh, they had to come from behind to do so. Um, Rotherham have created a weird habit of going ahead very early on and then blowing it. I think they've taken the lead in each of like their last three games within 10 minutes. Um, obviously, Tom Eve scoring again in this one um, with a nice finish. But QPR rallied. They got themselves back into the game. And they're out of the relegation zone, which is pretty big for Marty Sifuentes' side. And again, just shows the job that he has done there. He's, he's, he's got the best out of Willock and Chair, which we always said was going to be instrumental. They have got the best players. Obviously, slight controversy by the fact that um, Elias Chair has been charged <laughs> um, abroad. Um, he's obviously not in prison. And the things that he has been charged with would mean you are in prison in a UK law. But in Belgium, he is still free to play for Queen's Park Rangers. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that over the next few weeks uh, and months, how that develops. But he's going to play a pivotal role in QPR's hope to stay into the championship regardless. They are out of the relegation zone, which means Stoke City are in it. Um, Pretty much hitting rock bottom, it kind of feels a little bit now for Stoke. And if you are of the opinion that Sheffield Wednesday and Queen's Park Rangers will get out of it, or even one of them will, It's very hard to make a case that Stoke won't be the one that drops in because their form is turgid at the minute. They gave away some really soft goals away at a Cardiff City side that aren't in good form at the minute. I actually thought Stoke played a little bit better at the weekend. They showed a little bit of life, but the goals they're giving away at the minute, I think Daniel Everson would probably want the second one back across goal. Um, I don't think it was a goalkeeping gaffe, but probably someone someone I hold in quite high standard for championship level probably want that one back. Um, got themselves back in at 2-1 but just couldn't quite turn the screw and get themselves level and now they're actually in the bottom three you wonder whether almost the looming threat was too much maybe being the hunters will do them better than being the hunted but it feels like they've hit rock bottom a little bit now they, their run coming up is pretty tough but I've been looking at the fixture schedule in between 
After April the 1st, George, they play Huddersfield, Swansea, Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth within 20 days. That is going to define their season. Quite possibly, because if you look at their run of games coming up prior to the, the sequence of games you've mentioned there, they've got Middlesbrough at home, Leeds away, Preston away, Norwich at home, Hull away. Middlesbrough at home feels quite winnable. If they're going to Middlesbrough at home is certainly not easy. I don't know, what, Middlesbrough I, I don't know where Middlesbrough are at the moment, to be quite honest. Middlesbrough are just sort of in that ground of where the season is beginning to peter out, I think. But when you look at Leeds away, Preston away, obviously Preston have been on an upward curve recently. They're looking better and better as each week passes. Norwich, they've been on a good run. Hull City are getting better and obviously Leeds away next Tuesday night. So Stoke City, potentially, if this rut continues that they're stuck in at the minute, they could be in deep, deep trouble come Easter weekend, shall we say. You, you, as we know on this podcast, you're a massive fan of the Easter weekend. You love it. You're like a kid at Christmas at Easter with Championship Football. Stoke City, bearing in mind, after the international break, the first slot of championship games is Good Friday. Mm-hmm. So Stoke's Easter weekend is Hull away on Good Friday and then Easter Monday they're at home to Huddersfield. That could be a pivotal weekend for Stephen Schumacher if he's still in the job by then. And for, for the record, I don't think it would make the slightest bit of difference to sack Stephen Schumacher at all. It's quite clear that There's that job... Too many good managers go in there exactly. that have failed for it to, exactly. to really believe there'd be much of an impact. Yeah, without a doubt. But I think for Stoke, obviously, we're, we're throwing this forward by the best part of six or seven weeks here. But you look at that sort of first, second week of April, Swansea away, Swansea away on the 10th of April, Sheffield Wednesday away the 13th of April. How big a four days could that be in Stoke City season if they're still in a similar position now? That could be defining. And that leaves them with three games to go facing Plymouth, Southampton, and Bristol City. So, I mean, I've been debating this this week with someone about who we think is going to get relegated. And we were both of the opinion that we thought both Sheffield Wednesday and QPR would get out of this. I am also, that that. Means I am also of that opinion. That opens up two slots. The problem is Huddersfield have picked up. Millwall are threatening to pick up. Can you yet discount the likes of Swansea, Blackburn, Birmingham City, even Plymouth, maybe. I tell Not you what, yet. I think it's unlikely, but you can never say never. I honestly believe Stoke, out of all the teams in this sequence and this battle to avoid, presumably, I think we're all of the opinion now Rotherham are going to drop. There's no absolutely no way they're clawing this back. 16 points from safety now. There's not a hope in hell. But I think when you look at the likes of, say, Sheffield Wednesday, Stoke, QPR, Millwall, Huddersfield, Birmingham, Swansea, Blackburn, even up to Plymouth as well on 40 points at the minute. Of those sort of eight teams, it's Stoke that are in the worst position currently on current form. They're certainly giving you no sort of hope that they're going to get out of this. So you can guarantee now, I've said all of that, next Tuesday night they'll go to Ellen Road and win. Guarantee it. I agree That'd with all the that. Champions all over, wouldn't it? Blackburn have got a very crucial three games coming up just in terms of them. They've got... Swansea away on Saturday was obviously a big game for Swansea as well. Millwall at home, as you touched on, on Tuesday. And then Plymouth at home next Saturday. So in the next 10 days, Blackburn are either going to be deep in the shit or they're going to be safe, basically. Well, that, this is the thing, isn't it? With this this game between Blackburn and Swansea at the weekend. Obviously, QPR go to Leicester. You would think Leicester would win. But like you said, I don't think it'll be a straightforward task. Say if QPR win that game, 
and then Sheffield Wednesday perhaps pick up another win there at Rotherham. They'll be sort of looking at that one thinking, we have to win this game. Suddenly, if Blackburn and Swansea were to draw, they'd be only a two points clear of QPR if QPR went to Leicester and won. So realistically, Mill- Millwall, the worst I think, outcome, got quite a winnable game um, to Watford. The worst outcome for Blackburn and Swansea this weekend for the pair of them is to draw. Really, I actually they think both need to throw everything at it. Well, it could well be, but a draw realistically would do do nothing for either side. So, I just think it's absolutely staggering that sort of five six weeks ago we were sat here saying that well, it's just going to be two out of QPR, Huddersfield, and Sheffield Wednesday that are going to go. The, the case closed. Now, all of a sudden, we're looking as far up as 15th in the standings, which is absolutely ridiculous, really. But I think we're going back to the point we made last week about Danny Rail at Sheffield Wednesday and Marty Sifuentes at QPR. The fact that these two have clawed it back is quite remarkable. They've been in terrific form over the best part. So when you look at it over a 20-game spell, they've picked up something like the 12th and 13th most points in the division. Mm. If this championship season started, I think, when Marty Sifuentes came in, his first game, I believe, off the top of my head, was the 4th of November away at Rotherham. QPR, I had a look the other day, they'd be 11th in the table if the season started at the point of his first game. Danny Real and Sheffield Wednesday would be something like 15th. So, maybe a little bit higher, actually. So, it just goes to show what excellent jobs those two have done. Obviously, QPR only out of it at the minute on goal difference uh, over Stoke. Sheffield Wednesday, three points further back. It's it's going to go right down to the wire, this. And Sheffield Wednesday have still got to play QPR. They've still got to play Stoke. They've still got to play Swansea. They've still got to play Blackburn. I'll tell you now, that this could go right down to the final day. Yeah, Plymouth to come next, as, as soon as next Tuesday night. It's I, it's a big, big end to the season for a lot of clubs here. I agree with you. I think QPR and Sheffield Wednesday will stay up. We both predicted one would each in our mid-season predictions, and I think both of them will, and so do you. I, I, I'm struggling for any tangible evidence on Stoke at the minute. I haven't got a clue who the next team would be. Like in terms of form, Blackburn are two wins in six cha- sixteen championship games, but they have been showing signs of improvement under John Eustace. Millwall, we don't know how long that run, whether it'll peter out. Swansea, I was worried about Swansea, but then they go and beat um they go and beat Sunderland last weekend. So that felt like a huge win as well. That it, one. Re- it really it did. Really Let's did. talk about Sheffield Wednesday briefly, because they beat uh Bristol City. Really big win for them. They've won three of the last four, and they play Rotherham United this weekend, and then Plymouth on Tuesday. That if Wednesday can pick six, four to six points up from those games, which you would like to think they can from a Wednesday perspective with the run of form they've had recently, they're going to have. So like we talk, we talk about Stoke and the run of games they've got. If Wednesday and QPR keep picking up the points they are, they'll be long gone from Stoke before the time they get a winnable fixture. Um, it's going to be really, really tight. Like those are such big games. And obviously, playing Rotherham isn't a gimme for anyone. You know, they took the lead at QPR last week, but it becomes a harder game for Sheffield Wednesday than it does for QPR, for example, because of that Yorkshire rivalry. Because of that, that mentality from Rotherham fans will be: well, if we're going down, we'd love to take them with us, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's what you'd expect from any derby match. And then Plymouth coming to Hillsborough as well. It's it's going to be a massive week for. You know, you put those games into context. You put in that Blackburn are playing Plymouth, Millwall, Swansea. Like all those teams are playing such big games in the next ten days. It certainly is a massive one for Sheffield Wednesday. There's no doubt about this. And I actually watched Danny Rill's press conference, or certainly some of it on Thursday lunchtime. And he was asked about how it's going to be a little bit of a different scenario for Wednesday this weekend. In the the first time, really, that they've the one 
they're the ones going to be the ones who are being hunted rather than being the hunter with obviously Rotherham the only side beneath them in the table. But Wednesday obviously got their first win of the season against Rotherham back in October, which was Danny Rill's first home game in charge. And Wednesday since then, by and large, they've been competitive in every single game they've played with the exception of maybe two or three. So they'll certainly be looking at Rotherham away and thinking, yes, we're aware it's a derby. Nothing is a given in this league, no doubt about it. But we need to go there and win. There's no doubt about that Wednesday have got to take three points from this. You mentioned there the Plymouth game coming up. Wednesday's home record has been quite impressive under Danny Real, actually. It's significantly better than probably what a lot of fans of other championship clubs have thought have realised because obviously Wednesday have not really gone anywhere because they were that far behind prior to this upward turn that they've had under Danny Real. But you look at Wednesday now, and like you said there, you've mentioned Rotherham, you've mentioned Plymouth, then next Friday night, Leeds, and then the week after that, they've got Ipswich away. So, realistically, Wednesday, if you look at Ipswich and Leeds, though it probably would be the most Sheffield Wednesday thing ever to lose to Rotherham and then beat Leeds, it would be ultimate Wednesday class that. But you look at it and you think, if you can get six points from Rotherham and Plymouth, Leeds and Ipswich, in truth, you, you shouldn't be expecting anything from either of those two games, the way those two are playing. So, really, it's two free hits ahead of the Easter break, ahead of the international break before Easter. So... I honestly think Wednesday, if they can get six points in these next two games to take them to 38 points, then if they can get something from either the Leeds or the Ipswich game, they could snatch a point, maybe win one of them or whatever. They're going to be right in it ahead of that final sprint to the finish line. But I think the worst case scenario for Wednesday is the fact that if they lost to Rotherham, then didn't beat Plymouth as well, then they are going to be thinking, right, we've got two massive games coming up now against top two contenders that we're not fancied for, it's going to likely dent confidence. So I think Rotherham and Plymouth have got to be both must wins for Wednesday. They're still playing catch-up, but they're certainly in a hell of a better position than we ever imagined they would be. So big games, but Rotherham, like you said, they'll be sort of thinking, right, if we're going down, let's take them with us. It's a good mindset. It's a good way to think about it. But we've seen with Danny Rill, he's prepared for any scenario that comes his way. Wednesday, to be fair, they went to Leicester, they lost 2-0, but in the second half, they were actually the better side. So if they can play like that again and say play like they did at Millwall, play like they did against Bristol City, they'll fancy themselves this weekend. But yeah, take the Derby equation out of it. It is a huge game for Wednesday, really, more than Rotherham. Because I think Rotherham and Sawyer in the position where we know we're gone. We just want to get the end to the end now and just finish the season and draw a line under it. But for Wednesday, it's another big cup final and there's 12 of them still to play. With... Um... With 12 games remaining, Stoker on 35, how many points do you think guarantees survival? I think if you that's can get... That's a million dollar uh, question. I'm looking. So, Stoker on 35 from 34 games, so that's one point per game, albeit you would expect teams to probably pick up slightly more than one point per game over the last 12 because that's how the championship works and, and teams at the bottom suddenly pick up form. I think if you get to 50 points, that's definitely survival. I think... Can I, yeah, can I see Stoke picking up 15 points, for example, in the next 12? No, not really. Um, I think if you can get to 50, maybe 47, 48 might be enough. But I think you're going to be, need to be around the 50-point mark definitely to stay up this year again, um, which obviously it hasn't been in the last few years. Generally, we haven't, we haven't had a relegation scrap quite as strong as this for a while. Obviously, Reading... Last season got the points deduction, which took them down ahead of Huddersfield and got them out of it. But still, I think that was... Did Huddersfield finish on around 44 points in the end under Warnock? Um, I think Maybe you'll need more than that. More, I'm not sure. 
feels like we've not had a relegation battle like this for for a number of years where genuinely with 12 games to go there are like six six to seven teams in for two places well that's the thing isn't it and i go back to that point that i raised earlier on about not that long ago we just presumed that it would be two out of qpr sheffield Wednesday and huddersfield joining rotherham it seemed set in stone that it was going to be like that the way that the league table had developed but qpr have picked up wednesday have picked up Huddersfield have put a mini burst in the last sort of four weeks since Darren Moore's exit, and it sucked the likes of Birmingham, Millwall, Stoke, Blackburn, Swansea, even Plymouth as well. It sucked them right in. So I honestly believe at this moment in time, it is impossible to sort of say they are the two that are joining Rotherham. I think Stoke, you look at them now and say they've got to be less fancied because of the predicament that they're in, the run of form that they're on. Wednesday, if we're saying that around the 50 point mark is going to be what they've got to get, that's still another 18 points they've got to try and get. That sounds a lot, even though I still think it is certainly possible because they do play sort of these teams in and around them still and some of them at Hillsborough as well and the home form has picked up. QPR, I think Marty Sifuentes has done an absolutely marvellous job, to be fair to him. He's really, really kicked them on and they've improved a hell of a lot. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if they went to Leicester and got something at the weekend. I really wouldn't. So... I do think it's difficult, but when you look back now and the, the state of the sort of the bottom five, that win for Swansea at Sunderland last week was absolutely enormous. It was huge. That three points to take that leap from 36 to 39 was enormous. It really was. So a big game of Blackburn for them. Plymouth sort of, they, you don't really know what to expect with Plymouth. I didn't really see them going to Middlesbrough last weekend and winning. That was a hell of a result for them compared when you can think of what Borough did a week earlier at Leicester. But Middlesbrough, you said earlier on, you don't really know what to make of them at the minute. Their home form has been so bad this season. Only Millwall have lost more home games in the league than them, which mm. really surprises me. Comparing the teams have worked out how to deal with the possession style of Carrick, and I think they've not had the tools in the way they had Giles Archer and Akpon last yeah. year. They've not had the... Certainly not as strong as they were. The top end of the they've had injuries as well. Um, so I definitely think that's played its part with Middlesbrough. Yeah, definitely. They, they've had it tough, it must be said. But when you go to Leicester and win it, it sort of says, when, we, when we're up and at it, we can produce good football. And it's a weird one because I actually thought it was a nailed-on victory over Plymouth with Plymouth's away record this season. Obviously, Plymouth went there and won 2-0. So, I really do think that anyone from 15th downwards is is certainly in danger. I'm not sort of saying Plymouth are ones that need to be looking over their shoulder and thinking, oh my God, they are coming for us. But they've certainly got to be mindful of it and be aware of it. So, big game for them at Sheffield Wednesday next week. That That is a really big one because if Wednesday, of course, win on Saturday, Plymouth lose, say, at home to Ipswich, and then Wednesday beat Plymouth. Wednesday, all of a sudden, are only two points behind Plymouth, which is quite remarkable when you consider the gulf between them at the beginning of the season. So, we're recording this Thursday night. We'll record another episode next Thursday, reflecting on the weekend and next week's midweek games. I just don't know how that table's going to look by next Thursday night. I have not got a clue. It could be... It could be anything. Wednesday could be out the bottom three. They could be stuck on 32. Stoke could have won a couple of games and stunned Ellen Road. Who knows what is going to happen? But all of a sudden, we have got one hell of a fight to avoid relegation to League One, where for the most part, it looked like it was going to be pretty simple to work out. I cannot wait to see it unfold. As you said quite aptly there, when uh, when we record next, there will be 10 games. We'll be entering the weekend where we'll drop to single digits. The run-in definitely at 10 games 
for me and uh, it's going to be very exciting and we'll be covering it all of course on the Championship Chat Podcast. Thank you for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 and a huge thank you again to our sponsors Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.